0: As uh, as we were just talking about and praying uh, during our prayer time, uh, one of the things I think that the pandemic has done is stripped away a lot of things that we had gotten used to, maybe even depended on, um, and and really. Uh, cause, has caused us, in many ways, perhaps it's not just a one-time thing but an ongoing thing, uh, to really evaluate our life, uh, to evaluate uh, the things that we care about, the things that we give our time to, the things that we, um, we're we committed to. And uh, in some ways, it's been a uh, trying uh, crisis that we've gone through, because in, in moments uh, in the past, as we face faced crisis, we've drawn together. Uh, this crisis has, uh, in the beginning at least, told us that you shouldn't be anywhere near anyone, uh, and and so we've, we've had to evaluate these things, sometimes in isolation, sometimes alongside other people, but it's caused us to, to really evaluate what we, uh, what we care about, what we value, what we appreciate, what we're committed to. It's reminded us as a church, all the things that we could do, busy ourselves with, all the events that we could plan, all the strategy we could talk. The one thing that matters is that we embrace where God has put us and the people that He's put around us, believing that God desires to use us to make Him known and to make disciples. So we really believe that that God hasn't gotten our address wrong. Uh, he didn't get the timing of this pandemic wrong. He didn't get the uh, the circumstances that have led us to this place wrong. Uh, but instead, he's been working in and through all of that to accomplish his purpose in our life and to prepare us for the work that he has ahead of us. You see, I think we're we're facing some unique times. Uh, but these unique times aren't uh, unlike any other time in the world. Uh, the church and the, the gospel has experienced pandemics in the past. It's experienced times of success as well as times of tragedy. We've uh, we've walked through the the ups and downs uh, of life and and generations past. They've walked through the ups and downs of life. And so wherever we find ourselves, what's ahead of us may be worse than what we've experienced in the past 18 months. Uh, if I had Wood, knock on, I would. I pray that's not the case. It may be better uh, than what we've experienced the last 18 months, but regardless of whether it's better or worse, there isn't a better gospel. There isn't a better gospel that can sustain us and that can point us forward. The way forward uh, is holding on to the gospel and living on mission together. That's what God's called us to as his people, not in light of the pandemic. Hear me out. I'm saying this is what we were called to before, uh, and, and I'm just saying, I'm coming back to, to remind us of what the main thing is. Uh, I, I had a, a Sunday school teacher when I was in 10th grade who uh, used this little acronym. And I guess I, I didn't realize how prone I am to acronyms. We're using a BLESS uh, acronym to talk about these missional rhythms. But uh, the, the acronym uh, was MTMT TMT. MTMT TMT. And you're going to hear that and you're going to think, what does that mean? It means this, make the main thing the main thing. Empty, empty, T-empty. Make the main thing the main thing. And what all of this has done has reminded us of what the main thing is and what the main thing has been all along. And by God's grace, I want to make the main thing the main thing in my life and the life of this church. And that's to be about the gospel and the mission of God together. That's that's what the sermon series uh, that we find ourselves in is all about. It's it's reminding us that how we carry out our mission uh, is is rooted in, in yes, gathering together to be nourished and encouraged and built up as we come together. God has designed our gathering to be a place in which you're encouraged and nourished, both by the the singing of praise to God that He's due. Sometimes we sing it because our heart is overflowing. Sometimes we sing it because we need our heart to catch up with the truth and the reality of who God is. That's why the psalmist says, oh my soul, why are you cast down? We need our hearts sometimes to catch up uh, with the truth of God. So we we gather together to worship God, to give him the praise that he's due, to to open his word, the truth that he's given us, that guides us into all of life, that's sufficient for all of life. And and we gather to, to partake and to remember the elements of the Lord's Supper and baptism, which point us uh, to the entrance into the Christian life through life, uh, through death, burial, and resurrection in Christ and baptism, and, and through the remembering of Christ's sacrifice that nourishes our faith. Like This is what we do when we gather. But as I said earlier, we only do this for, for about an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday. And if you block in when you come early and come late, and uh, maybe you throw in small group. We'll throw in small group as well. We gather for about three hours in a week Um I don't know exactly how many hours there are in a week, but the feeling that I get at the end of every week is that there weren't enough. Um, And so three hours isn't very much. The rest of our time, we're scattered. And you can't live on mission when you sleep. That's just important, right? Uh, But the rest of our lives, we're scattered in our work, and our friendship, and our hobbies, and all of these things. And that is where God is calling us to, not to add a bunch of new things to our life, but to embrace where we're at and the people he's put around us, with an intentionality to seek to show and to share Christ with others, to display and to declare the gospel. And so we need rhythms in our life that help us do that, not just events that we add into our life. Some events are helpful and valuable and can further that work. Uh, But at the end of the day, it's about us embracing everyday life with this type of mentality. Um, and so our our mission to multiply disciples who delight in declare delight in and uh, declare and display the gospel in all of life and for the good of our community is grounded in us living this out every day and so one of the things I've realized in life is that um, if something is really important you seek to, to make it clear Um uh, I've I've realized this both with with children as well as just in general in relationships and working in groups. Uh, some of you uh, who work in group projects, uh, you you perhaps have increasingly felt this uh, that that communication and clarity and communication is important. And sometimes uh, you haven't you haven't really grasped what what you're talking about until you can make it concrete. Um, uh, one of the things uh, that i uh i love about teaching children and we have many of you uh, as a smaller church and a church plant everybody kind of has a hand in helping serve our our kids in some way not because uh we need babysitters but because we believe that the uh one of the best opportunities we have to reach the next generation is to care for and intentionally uh shepherd our children to to know and love Jesus and uh one of the things about teaching children that's so uh valuable um is uh or so uh Challenging, but so beneficial is that you you need to make things concrete. Uh, you start to say things, and then uh, all of a sudden you're like, "Well, no, how do I explain that? Let me let me break it down like this, you know." And then you and you try to you try to make it concrete. Sometimes it's a you know abysmal failure as I talk to my kids about the Lord. Sometimes it's like that clearly, you know, right here. Um, but making it concrete is valuable. That's what these are about. These rhythms are about making living on mission concrete. Living on mission isn't just an ethereal thing that we kind of wake up and think, help me to live on mission today. That's a good prayer, but the way we go about doing it is by looking at the people around us and seeking to bless people. Jesus said that the, the, the heart of a, a follower of Jesus is to, is to bless others not just the people we like, but even our enemies, he said. It goes, it goes even further than what our world would, would call us to do, to love them, to serve them, to pray for them. That's the heart of, uh, of the people of God, that we, we seek to be a blessing to others. Jesus had served us and blessed us, and with him as our king, we're his servants seeking to bless others. And then we, we seek to be people who, who listen, Listening is a subset of the the broader rhythm of having conversations, of talking to people. Uh, You talk to people in your everyday life. Sometimes we wish we didn't have to talk as much as we did, but every time we talk, we have an opportunity to display the gospel by the way that we listen to people, by the way that we care for people. You know, we said last week that listening isn't just um, waiting to respond you know, while somebody else talks, right? Listening is seeking to understand uh, and desiring for God's purpose to be accomplished in a person's life, that, that we enter into conversations with an intentionality and a desire uh, to, to see God use us to be a blessing and serve others by caring for them and understanding where they're at, and, and, and even in understanding where they're at, then we can meet them them with the gospel. Then we can meet them with real encouragement. And then today we're talking about perhaps my favorite rhythm in all of life, eating, right? Can I get an amen, right? We all do this. You know, sometimes I don't want to talk to people. I don't want to listen uh, to other people. Sometimes I'm a bad listener. Uh, sometimes uh, I don't want to give of myself sacrificially to be a blessing to others. Do you know one thing that I've never struggled with? One thing that I've never not desired to do. One thing that I'll give advance planning to every morning is eating. Uh, it's, it's a missional rhythm that's just like dropped down from heaven to us that says, here it is, here is the way uh, to eat. On mission. Now, to say that is somewhat of a, um, you know, sounds somewhat of a uh, tricky thing. To, what exactly does it mean to eat on mission? Um, and do I just choose the coolest restaurants where I think there are people that need to hear about Jesus and go there? Is that what we're talking about? Uh, wh- what exactly does it mean to eat on mission? That's what we're going to unpack today. But it's a recognition that God uh, has given us. Uh, the, the, the blessing and the joy of, of eating, and often eating the thing that we love most and the, the, the most memorable moments, the most memorable meals you probably have. It's, it's yes, it's the content of what you've eaten, but it's often who you've eaten it with. Um, eating often draws us together with others, uh, and, and eating for that reason can be so, uh, so valuable in terms of living on mission. Uh, Most of us eat 21 meals in a week or something like that. Some of you are weird and you skip the best meal of the day, breakfast. Uh, Others of you maybe have some like four meal a day regimen, you know, and you slide in seven extra meals during the week or you have a certain amount of snacks that you eat. uh, Snacks are good. Uh, Trader Joe's snacks. We just got some... uh, uh, folly uh, Trader Joe snacks just uh, so good. Um, it's you know the special uh, place that we all have in our hearts and in our stomachs for dessert. Um, you can uh, you know, I don't know how you count that within your meal. Sometimes I don't think meal is complete without the dessert you know uh, That's probably a problem for the next physical I go to but um, <clears throat> we, we all share uh, and and have a need to eat. And I believe, as we talk today, our need to eat also reminds us of the opportunity uh, to eat with others for the sake of God's, for the sake of God's mission. <clears throat> so when we think about eating on mission, really what we're talking about is hospitality. Really, what we're talking about is hospitality, and I want to unpack that today, um, not in the sense of entertaining people in your homes, but but living a life that seeks to humbly serve and extend the grace of God to others. Uh, that's what hospitality is ultimately about. Uh, and so <clears throat> I was, in prepping for for today, I was reading some, and some of you, uh, we've done a book study on a, a book by... Um, An author uh, named Rosaria Butterfield uh, called the gospel comes with a house key. There's a number uh, of different uh, authors who have spoken on or written on hospitality. It's a topic that has received a lot of attention uh, for its. uh, It's both its occurrence in the scriptures as well as his value in the Christian life. And uh, there's one author in particular, I'll quote some from Rosaria uh, here in just a moment, but another author named Steve Childers, who's a professor at Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando, he was gathering with a group of pastors and he asked this question. He says, do you know what the key to evangelism is in the 21st century? What's the key to evangelism in the 21st century? What's the key to making Christ known in our world, our very complex, sometimes antagonistic uh, world in which we live? And the answer, both simple and yet full uh, of of opportunity and full of unpacking, is simply this, hospitality. The key, he says, to evangelism in the 21st century is hospitality. Hospitality. Uh, and one of the pastors who was there and writing this article, his name's David Mathis, he, uh, he wrote fleshing this out. He says, In a progressively post-Christian society, the importance of hospitality as an evangelistic asset is growing rapidly. Increasingly, the most strategic turf on which to engage those who don't believe about the good news of Jesus may be on the turf of our own homes. When people don't gather in droves for stadium crusades or tarry long enough on the sidewalk to hear your gospel spiel, what will you do? You do, where will you interact with those who don't believe about the things that matter most? His suggestion is my suggestion to you today. Invite them over for dinner. Hospitality is the key to us living on mission today. I truly believe that. I know there's all kinds of complexities and difficulties of figuring out how to do that safely uh, still on uh, on this side of things in this pandemic, um, but uh, I believe that we have an obligation. It's a matter of obedience as we respond to the scriptures, as we'll see here in just a moment, but also an opportunity to strategically live on mission, uh, flowing out of the grace that we've received in Christ and extending that to others. Uh, Rosaria Butterfield uh, talking on this same point, she says, practicing biblical hospitality is an untouched resource for bringing the gospel upstream in our polarized and post-Christian world. I don't know if you have this sense sometimes that it seems like impossible to talk uh, to other people about topics in our day, whether it's political, whether it's social, um, whatever the opinions are, it seems that the polarization has grown stronger. And if you try to have nuance, that's the one thing that you're not allowed to do, is to be nuanced about anything, or to be reasonable about anything, or or even uh, to, to see the value of understanding the extremes and trying to have conversation and you can't do that over the water cooler anymore. You could talk about the score of the game, uh, but even in Michigan, you can't discuss, you know, uh, Jim Harbaugh's, uh, you know, uh, fit in the Michigan program without some polarization, right? Like you can't even do that over the water cooler, um, let alone to talk about some of the most important issues that, that define our lives and, and where we live and, and how we live. And so what do you do in those moments? Well, you just stick your head in the sand and you just get by and, you know, look out for you and your own and hope that the world kind of comes out on the other end, right? Like that's all we can do. No, that's that's not what we're called to do. As God's people, we we don't just say, "Well, forget it." I'm tired. Yeah, you, we may say, "Forget it." I'm not going to engage in this debate in this setting or this format. And there's uh, a lot of there's a book called Proverbs that's about wisdom. And sometimes we said last week that sometimes you you actually look uh, wise when you don't say anything, right? Even fools look wise when they don't say anything. And so when we open our mouths, we tend to reveal. Which one we are um, too often, uh, I've been the fool rather than the wise one, right? And I don't know if you can relate to that, but uh, one of the things that we can do. Do in the midst of that is to not be a people who stick our head in the sand or who entrench ourselves and become you know whether it's a partisan hack or a, you know a, a junkie on this topic or, or dive into whatever extreme it is one of the things that we can do as God's people is seek to to gather with others whether it's in our home or uh, or in other places in our life and practice hospitality practice a kind of humility that seeks to serve as well as embody the grace that we've received in Christ in the way that we interact with others. That we can, we can listen to those we disagree with. We can love even when we differ. That we can do all of this because we see people as made in God's image and as purchased um, <clears throat> by, the, uh, by the blood of Christ, by His sacrificial death in our place that compels us to, to pursue others. So that we might hold out the hope of the gospel as well as model a kind of charitableness, a kind of grace in the way that we interact with others. We can be different. God calls us to be different as his people. And we see this throughout the scriptures in this call for hospitality. First um, <clears throat> Peter 4, 8 through 9 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another, here it is, without grumbling. Uh, there's a whole another sermon to unpack there about our grumbling about hospitality but show hospitality to one another sometimes people try to distinguish between hospitality and fellowship hospitality at its root means love of stranger uh, fellowship is the idea of what believers do together uh, I think that sounds good I like that and yet it says here show hospitality to one another implying that we do that even within the body of Christ that we humbly serve and extend grace to one another even in the body of Christ and as we do that in the body of Christ, we also extend that outside the body of Christ in the way that we love and serve other people. Hebrews 13, 1-12 says, let brotherly love continue. Do you notice a theme? Wherever it talks about hospitality, it often talks about it in the context of brotherly love, of loving one another earnestly. Do not neglect to show hospitality for strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware." Uh, I'm not saying if you have me over for dinner and give me a nice meal and a dessert and serve me a good cup of coffee that you'll be entertaining an angel unaware, but you may be. Uh, so you don't want to miss the opportunity, right? Uh, that God's calling us to, to practice hospitality. Romans 12, 9-13, here it is again. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, in case you didn't get it the first time. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, constant in prayer. Here's contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Hospitality is vital to the health of our church as well as to the mission of our church. It's vital to the health of our church and the mission of our church. And I want us to look at Luke 14 today to see that hospitality flows from the gospel and displays the gospel. Hospitality flows from the gospel and displays the gospel. Here's a commentary on the Gospel of Luke called Eating Your Way Through the Gospel of Luke. Um, somewhat of a catchy title, but it's because uh, the author says Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or leaving a meal in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, it, it's it's somewhat of a theme that's captured throughout the Gospel of Luke. It's uh, it's a rhythm that Jesus practiced. And so if you want an argument for why the validity of this rhythm, uh, well, Jesus did it, so right, we should do it, right? And uh, he, he constantly is gathering with others and engaging others in these meal settings and there's a there's a whole uh, biblical theology of, of eating and meals that we could uh, we could trace from the Bible going all the way back uh, to uh, to to what we see in Genesis as uh, as God provided uh, a meal in the in the Passover that became the uh, the kind of the basis for our understanding of the gospel uh, that God provides for us and we receive that provision by faith. That became the the plumb line that would go throughout the scriptures that reminded us of our need for God's forgiveness and mercy and grace and of God's provision for us. And that would just continually be practiced by the church as they ate that meal. The, The remembrance of what God done was tied to a meal. Does it sound like anything that we do in the New Testament church? Right? It's the Lord's Supper. Our remembrance of what Christ has done is tied to a meal. I'm sorry that we use the little wafer thing and the juice thing. It gets a little complicated and COVID. Um, The meal was better back then, right? We need to recapture the meal. Uh, And we haven't quite figured out how to do that. Um, But uh, the practice of remembering what Christ accomplished for us is tied to a meal. And that meal reminds us of hospitality. You see, Jesus said in Luke 19.10 that he came to seek and save the lost. That was why Jesus came. He came to seek and save the lost. What was striking to me this week is to think about how Jesus came. You remember what they said of Him? In Luke 7, 34, it says, The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. He came to seek and save the lost, but how He came was often eating and drinking with others, proclaiming the kingdom of God. See, Luke 14, uh, somewhat ironically, isn't actually about hospitality. Um, Luke 14 is actually about the gospel. It's about how we get into the kingdom of God and how we live out the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is really talking about. Uh, He's gone to this feast in a Pharisee's house, uh, and he uses this opportunity to teach about the kingdom of God, to teach about what it means to enter the kingdom, as well as what it means to live out the kingdom in our daily life. But he does it in this setting uh, of a meal with others. And as he talks about the gospel, it forms how we think about hospitality. And so I want you to listen quickly to these two points from Luke 14. I'm going to start further back than what we read in verse 7 through 11. And we're going to see that the gospel requires humility. Look at what it says in verse 7. Uh, it, it says back in verse 2 that he was uh, he came to uh, to this meal in verse 1 on a Sabbath. He went to the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees uh, for this meal, and he heals this man uh, who had been sick. And there's some discussion that begins to take place. And in verse 7, he says, now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose places of honor, saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited um, <clears throat> by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, hey, give your place up to this person, and then you'll, uh, then you'll begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go in and sit down in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who are at the table with you. And here's the point, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself Will be exalted. See, Jesus has been invited by these uh, this religious leader to his house for a meal, uh, but. He's been invited with an attitude of suspicion. They're just waiting and watching for Jesus to say something, to do something, that they can trip him up. And here they're using the Sabbath to say, how can you heal on the Sabbath? And Jesus reminds them that the Sabbath, uh, that God intended it as a rest from his beautiful work of creation. And what Jesus does in healing on the Sabbath isn't breaking the Sabbath command, but it's actually reminding us of the whole point of the Sabbath, that God is the creator, that God is the sustainer, that God is sovereign, Sovereign over all, and has made all things, and he rests from his work. And so, Jesus' healing on the Sabbath isn't breaking the Sabbath, but actually a reflection of what the Sabbath is all about. He's restoring God's creative purposes when he heals the sick man. And, and he sees in this moment the hardness of their hearts, and he, he takes the opportunity um, to critique the feast. He's critiquing those who have come to the wedding feast here. He's saying, Let me teach you something. Don't take the best seat in the house. Otherwise you might be put down when somebody more important than you comes but humble yourselves and take the low seat so that when the time comes you can be called up now I, I don't think that Jesus is teaching you know a uh, an etiquette class like you know th- there's value in that right so I, I remember when I um, got married to, to my wife uh, Emily uh, her family practiced etiquette way more than I ever did as a kid. Like we ate TV dinners on the couch, you know, for uh, most of the meals in my childhood. Um, and and so when I came over, she has younger brothers, her mom would uh, would tell her younger brothers to put their hand in their lap and, you know, one one hand on the table, their napkin on their lap. I, I did know the napkin on your lap. I was, you know, by the time I was 20, I'd observed enough, you know, to figure that out. All right. Um, <clears throat> but I'm like all in, you know, knees on the, not knees, that would be awkward. Uh, elbows on the table, you know, I'm just eating it up. You know, I I'd learned not to smack my food because I saw how annoying that was when other people did it. But I'm, you know, I'm all all kinds of terrible etiquette. And as she corrects, as Emily's mom corrects her brothers, I'm like, oh. I'm like, put the napkin in my lap, put one hand in my lap, get my fork, you know. I learned which fork it does what and which spoon goes where, all those things, right? Um, and I don't think that's what Jesus is doing here. I don't think this is an etiquette lesson. Though it could go a long way for you uh, in your, in your uh, dinner parties. But Jesus is, is teaching us about the kingdom of God. That to enter the kingdom requires humility. Because to enter the kingdom means that you have to acknowledge your need for God. You have to acknowledge that you don't have it all figured out. The Pharisees struggled to do that. They thought they had all the answers. And in thinking they had all the answers, they missed the provision that God had sent forth them. And the verse, verse 11 points to the truth of it all, that if you exalt yourself, you'll be humbled in the end. But if you humble yourself, you'll be exalted ultimately. Many people seek to exalt themselves in this life and won't bow the knee to God. But the reality is every, everyone one day will bow the knee to Him. Either we do it now and and humility and worship and faith, receiving what Christ has done for us, or one day we bow it before our judge to whom all will give an account. And he reminds us that the gospel requires humility, and he shows us um, our need to humble ourselves to receive what God is offering us through Christ. And I, I don't think it's it's a stretch here to say that this reminds us that hospitality at its core, either when you, when you receive an invitation or you are extending an invitation, at its core, hospitality is humbly serving others. And saying that hospitality is humbly serving others, hear me what I'm saying. Ho- hospitality is therefore not entertaining and impressing others that's not what it is that's what we've made it to be Uh, and we think that Southern Living or you know Joanna Gaines or whatever HGTV personality you like that somehow what they present is what you're supposed to present to be hospitable I'm not saying that there's nothing wrong with decorating and doing all those things and making your home the way that you want it to be go rock it right But the point of hospitality isn't impressing and entertaining. The point of hospitality is humbly serving others. And what that means is you know that you're not any better than anybody else. It means that you're really not all that different than other people. That you welcome them into your life. You open yourself up to them, not out of superiority, but aware of your own needs, your own weaknesses, your own shortcomings. And you seek to then serve others. I heard it said on a podcast this week by uh, a pastor and author, Ray Ortland, he said his dad used to say there's two kinds uh, of people who walk in a room. There's the kind of person who walks in a room full of people and says, here I am. Uh, they, they kind of are focused on themselves. Uh, and uh, this is what you do oftentimes in middle school. You're like, here I am. Who's paying attention to me? Well, nobody's paying attention to me, so nobody likes me. So this is a terrible place, and I never want to go back there again. Like That's the whole logic of middle school right there. Um, But the, the kind of person who comes into the room and says, here I am, is looking for others to notice them, to see them, to serve them. The second kind of person walks into a room and says, there you are. I'm so glad you're here. I want to learn about you. I want to know you. I care about you. I want to serve you. You see, hospitality requires us to be the second kind of person. Either when we go to our dinner party, we walk in the room and we don't say, here I am. We say, there you are. And when someone enters into our space, into our lives, into our home, at our table, and we say, I'm so glad that you are here with me. Not that I am here with you. Uh, It's the difference in in understanding the gospel that motivates our hospitality, that the gospel requires us humility to admit our need and to receive what Christ has done for us. That's what the gospel does, and then it teaches us in in hospitality to humbly serve others. And then secondly, the gospel offers grace. Verses 12 through 25 shows us, and we're not going to read it because of time and our service, because we kind of front-loaded celebrating uh, this Sunday. Um, my, my sermon's going to end a little quicker here uh, than it would otherwise. But um, I, I want us to, to notice, as you look at the second point, as Jesus turns from addressing those who are in attendance, he turns to the man who had invited him to his house. And he's going to address him. And in doing so, we see that not only does the gospel require humility, but the gospel offers grace. And this Pharisee hasn't yet grasped grace. And in that sense, he may be like some of us, uh, aware of good things and religion and maybe what God requires, but not fully wrapping our minds around grace. And basically he says... If you just seek reciprocal relationships, if you just do things for people whom you can get something from, if you just do things when it's convenient for you or when there's some payout for you or there's some social benefit for you, that's not grace. That's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is that you go to the people who don't deserve to be there. You go to the least. You invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, those who can't repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. You see, the, the gospel reminds us that we are the crippled, that we are the poor, that we are the lame, that we are the blind, and we can only come because God extends grace to us. We have no merit to come on our own. And it reminds us that this message of grace goes out to people. And do you know what's crazy? Is people hear about grace, and they say, "No thanks. There's been studies done, maybe you've experienced this in school before, where there's a big exam, a professor is known for giving uh, really hard exams. He comes in and he says to everyone, no matter after they've taken the test, no matter how you did, everybody's going to get an A. And do you know there are some people who are like relieved. They're like, praise the Lord. (laughs) Uh, Praise him from whom all blessings flow, right? Like, (laughs) I did not study, and God has been gracious to me. Um, But then there are other people that are like, I cannot believe I busted my butt to study for this. Do you know how hard it was? I was I've got sweat stains from how difficult this test was, right? And you're here to tell me that it didn't matter? That you know, my my neighbor who didn't study last night and who was asking me incessantly before we walked in here gets the same grade as me when I worked as hard as I did for this exam? I don't want your grace, I want what I deserve. And we step back for a moment. We realize how often and how easy it is to do the same thing with God. In our estimation, He shouldn't do that. How could He forgive them? Well, I have done those things. Surely God should bless me. And sometimes it's not always about who, who trusts and who follows Him. Sometimes it's just our own struggle uh, that we feel like we've done all the right things. And sometimes life is difficult. Right? Like. <clears throat> You, you, can, you can feel that things aren't fair and struggle with the idea how, how God is gracious, both to those who, in our eyes, we think are prime candidates for the gospel as well as those who are the farthest from it. See, the gospel extends grace to those who don't deserve it. And by extension, Jesus is reminding us that hospitality is then extending grace that we've received from Christ freely to others. It's giving grace, and this is why we can practice hospitality in our home, at a coffee shop, on a walk. Wherever we go, we can be the kind of people who open ourselves up to others to humbly serve them and extend grace to them. If you recognize that you need grace and you've received grace in Christ, you'll be the kind of person who extends grace freely to others. And that's what Jesus is showing us, that even those who, don't, who won't respond, the, the invitations that go out, the responses are, I'm busy, I got work, I bought a field. Like, who gives that lame excuse to not go to a dinner party? I just got married. That's an age-old tactic, and married couples are like, well, my wife says, or my husband says. Like, it's all kinds of lame excuses, And at the end, Jesus, in telling this parable, he says that this master in the parable tells the servants, and he says, you go and broadcast it to everyone. And here's a reminder to us that the gospel goes out to everyone, not just those who the religious leaders think deserve it, but to everyone whom God has made in his image. The gospel goes out to all and offers forgiveness and freedom from sin for any who will trust in him and believe in him. And so as we think about practicing hospitality, it's extending grace freely to others that we've received from Christ. There's so much more that we could unpack, um, but as I reflected on this video this last week as our band comes up here in just a moment, um, last uh, March, uh, March 8th, our final sermon, um, before we, uh, before we went into the pandemic, I was preaching on Luke uh, 24, or 22. We were going through a, a Lent, Lenten series looking at our, the journey to the cross and Jesus and the Last Supper. Um, and, and as I reflected on the meal that Jesus invites us to that reminds us of the gospel, that meal of the Lord's Supper that reminds us of His body broken for us, His blood shed for us, um, I, I challenged us, uh, within the next two weeks to seek to think about someone in our lives that we want to invite over for a meal, or that we want to go out for a meal with, or we want to find time to get together with, to show hospitality, to humbly serve, and to extend God's grace to them. And I'll be honest, I kind of forgot about that because the next week was a little crazy. Um, but here we are 18 months later, and I'm, I'm here to ask you, have you done it? And I'm just kidding. I, I'm, I'm here to challenge us once more um, to take up this call that's that that the gospel compels us to to practice a hospitality that humbly serves others and extends grace. It can be small. It doesn't even have to be in your home. As I said, it can be uh, on, on the go or out to eat or over coffee or on a walk. But be the person who initiates and invites people into your life or perhaps even accepts the invitation to go and gather with others. And as you're there, be the kind of person who walks in and says, there you are. And who, having received the grace of God in Christ, extends that grace to others. Let's pray.